Hey everyone, welcome to Founders 365 with me, Stephen Haggerty. Today, I'm joined by the co-founder of Geektastic, Mr. Rick Brownlow. How are you today, Rick? Very well, thank you very much. Good. I'm glad you're on the podcast and I'm really looking forward to getting, because you've done so much in terms of your little, your background. I'm looking forward to just diving into this. So first question, as always, can you just let me know what it is you do and Geektastic does? Sure. So, yeah, we're a technical assessment platform. We help hiring teams assess candidates coming forward for roles. We started it back in 2016, born out of frustration like all good startups <laughs> should be. Um, there were plenty of platforms out there that screen candidates with machines, and we wanted to do it with a human. Mm. We built up a community of who, humans who do the reviews. Um, we originally pitched it at recruitment agencies, spent six months Flogging that one, it didn't work, so we ended up going direct to clients. So we work with companies like Just Giving and Skyscanner and Sainsbury's. Some really cool brands. And you say it's it born out of frustration. What were you doing beforehand to get frustrated about it? So I've worked at, so Sporting Bet was where I first really saw this. I came out of a small startup, went into Sporting Bet as the head of mobile. We grew the mobile team to, I don't know, 30, 40 people there. Mm-hmm. And the amount of interviews we had to do to find those, that number was off the charts. Yeah. And you end up spending half your time when you should be shipping product, doing interviews of candidates who the recruitment agent said, this is the most incredible iOS developer you've ever seen. You go through a process, you drag developers off working on projects, they sit down, they interview, and they go, no, this, this really isn't very good at all. We need to, we need to see the next one and the next one and the next one. So if you're looking at sort of getting down from 10 to 1 in terms of number of people you might meet, the number mm. of people you hire, you're just wasting so much time. Yeah, massively. It's interesting you bring up the fact that you tried to flog it to uh, recruiters and agencies. Why do you think yeah. that they said no? Why do you think they weren't interested? So not all of them, to be fair. It just wasn't enough. We didn't get critical mass. Got you. But in the most part, they didn't really see this as their job. So, and, and now we've actually spent some time working with some agencies to really understand this. So I think agencies, some of them get a bad rap. They think mm-hmm. it perceives their fees to be sky high, not really sure what they do. But when you actually sit inside one and look at what they're doing, it, there's an awful lot of process that's put in place. But what they didn't want to do is quality control. Their view is yeah. I can find a good person that matches your requirements, but you, the client, should be the ones doing the technical assessment piece. Got you. And what and we thought this should originally do is we would take a candidate, put them through Geektastic, and once that candidate has done one assessment, that could be used for multiple clients. Right. We thought from a value-add proposition, you're going out speaking to a candidate, say, hey, look, you're, you, if I put you forward for 10 roles, you're going to have to do 10 assessments with 10 different companies. Come and do this one, and you can, you can basically get fast-tracked. But their view was, I've got no guarantee. If I sink a whole load of cost into the Geektastic platform to get these candidates screened and they don't get hired, I don't get paid. Yeah. Because, yeah, it's basically quite hand-to-mouth on an agency model, which is very contingent on actually placing that person. Yeah, it's really interesting, though, because it it makes sense on paper, I guess, for them. But in the real-world example, they, they obviously didn't see that need. I wonder if they would now, though, because of the timings and everything like that. It's one of those, yeah. one of those things that... Would you ever go back to that and ever sort of test yeah. that market again? We do work with a couple, actually. But I'd okay. say it was 5% of the market. Wow. I've heard horror stories, which were, but Rick, if I put all my candidates through your system, 
that means you're going to take out some candidates and tell me they're not very good that I could have actually placed. And my view is, well, you shouldn't be placing them. If they're not good, then they're not right for the role. Don't, yeah, but that's how I make my money. Yeah. Okay. And then you got, I think, I think the world is shifting slowly. There's an awful yeah. lot of talk around that industry being disrupted, but it isn't going to get disrupted by technical platforms. It's going to get disrupted by people focus more on quality and long-term value as opposed to just focused on the next week's placements or next month's placements. Yeah. So let's go back to 2016 when you started this or co-founded this with your, did you start with your, from day one with your co-founder? Yeah. So we actually worked at the previous startup. We were, so I brought Charles in at uh, Bonza, um, spent nine months trying to find a CTO. And again, that was sort of proved in this, this process. Um, so yeah, we carried on working together in this one. We sat there at the end of the last one, twiddling our thumbs going, what are we going to do next? Let's try and solve that problem. So it's like walking out of the uh, the prep coffee shop conversations. Yes, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And there were two businesses. We had an idea of which one should we do, and we thought this one had the, the most legs. Yeah. And what fortunate that having worked with somebody, I mean, yeah, running a startup is it's stressful to say the least. Yeah, sometimes. Let's talk about that relationship then with co-founders because yeah. that's often one of the things that founders have trouble with either doing it alone going from a co-founder from day one or bringing a co-founder in at a certain point maybe six seven months in um obviously you did it from day one what what were the benefits of you doing that obviously you also knew him from before which proves a massive relationship benefit already but i've seen massive horror stories of founders going at it together and just not working out how do you and your co-founder work and, and make sure that the dynamic meets the requirements for growth in the business that's a great question i guess we're very we're attacking different areas i think it where it's dangerous if you've got two co-founders who cross over too much yeah agreed for us i'm not technical i've worked in development teams i understand technology but you wouldn't let me loose on a code base um charles has been running engineering teams since yeah since the internet sort of started really so he's lived in that space and we don't cross over and we don't step on each other's toes. So I leave all the technical decisions to him and he'll leave a lot of the sort of business development stuff to me. So I think that that works well. Yeah. The problems are going to be where, yeah, you've got two technical heads locking horns or two biz dev people, we should be taking different strategies. Um, but again, bringing somebody in later on, the trouble is that you've already forged a path and whoever comes in is going to want to do something different. Yeah. You know, it's one of those things where I think it is I think it is a risk for any 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 of those object any of those avenues you want to go down, either solo, co-founder from day one, or co-founder later on. You're always gonna have to have those conversations, even with yourself, about the role in the business. Um, you know, you you and Charles both had your defined role beforehand, which is great because it probably saved so much of that time when you were starting off to refine that because yeah. you already knew that yep he's mr tech i'm mr biz dev sort of growth um what were some of the challenges when you first started out maybe not together but just in general to sure. well, get fantastic i'd almost forgotten about this actually but there were three of us from day one funny oh this is awkward yeah <laughs> <laughs> this actually proves my point is there were two technical so charles and another guy who were both technical yeah and myself and there was almost from day one a sort of locking of horns over routes to take should we be building stuff 
which has got sort of longevity to it or should we just try to work things as quickly as possible that that facebook sort of i don't know um break it quickly move fast and break things versus yeah. much more sort of stable we don't want to have to rewrite this in a year's time um and yeah that didn't work out so actually yeah one of the original co-founders left after six months something like that um which simplified things a lot but yeah, yeah much i much prefer to figure that out then exactly. than in two years time I, I remember actually we were just trying to raise some vc money and we all sat there around the table going right we're all together on this so we absolutely align that when we sit there in front of the vcs tomorrow or whenever it is that we're all absolutely on the same page and actually, the next day, we then had another conversation, which was, I'm not on the same page as you guys. This isn't going to work out. Yeah. Yeah. How, how do I get out of here now? And it was it's all growing up. It worked okay, but it was the right thing to do. Yeah, exactly. And it, and it probably felt more the right thing to do looking back than in that moment. I'm sure in that moment, you yeah. had a moment of like, holy shit, we've just lost our, our third will as a, as a team. Yeah, yeah. I know it's hell, but everything sat everything seems worse at the time. Go home, yeah. sleep on it, come back the next day, have a growing up conversation and Exactly. Yeah. So you've got how many investment rounds have you gone through? Oh god, we've done the typical British thing, which is small little small rounds. Small, small, small. Small angel <laughs> rounds. So we've gone through um I guess three rounds of funding. We've got a Okay. That's a that's a whole other story, but we've done Small sort of boutique family office, angel round, second angel round. Yeah, and we went through a JV. So yeah, we tried everything. We never done. We've never taken the VC route. Um, okay, it's hard to convince VCs that we're going to be this magic billion dollar business. Mm. Yeah, um, I think if we'd done this in the US, it would have been a very different story. You can basically stick another naught on the end of every round. Instead of raising 250 grand, you'd be raising two and a half million. It is strange about the difference in mentality from UK, Europe to the US, you know, shiny Silicon Valley and across the across the whole of US in terms of the, the view that investors have on looking and valuing a company. Um, it does seem to be yeah. two very different conversations that people have. Yeah, it's, and it's also not just so much around how you value it, it's how you grow it. Mm -hmm. and what the metrics are what do i want to see everybody here is just so trying just fixed on right i've got to see revenue quickly i want to see this proven whereas i th think and maybe this is years gone by versus now people uh, i just want to see scale just get loads of views on the platform i don't care yeah. about money whereas when you're speaking to angel investors they're seeing this as a much shorter period turnaround and they're looking for a two or three x return rather yeah. than the hundred times return that vcs want to get yeah so, uh, yeah it's a whole different thing but actually with hindsight i'm glad we always did keep it lean that if we had raised bucket loads of cash we'd have employed loads of people and then when things don't go how they're going to go imagine the extra pressure <laughs> nothing ever goes the way you want it to go no, yeah, exactly. things pivot or you change or whatever it is then yeah that can be difficult so yeah keeping it with fewer people is better actually exactly so i've got a couple of questions that actually a lot of uh in, i've got a group full of founders um some of the questions that they often ask is especially with the investment side it's like what methods did you use to find the investors to pitch to so people i knew historically so either invested in previous businesses i was in or yeah just through networking so yeah speak to people yeah uh secondly 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and at that stage, you're buying into the person. As much as it's the business, you're buying into the person or yeah. the people who are running it. You haven't got a lot. You've got a proof of concept. You've got one user paying you a nominal amount of money. Or in our case, we did. We had a product with no nobody using it. In fact, we were pitching it to, to recruitment agencies. Mm. Um, so that was, I guess, the yeah stage one. Stage two was then going to angel groups. So yeah, Surrey 100 or whatever they're called and Cambridge Angels and et cetera, et cetera. So going around pitching to groups of sort of retired or semi-retired accountants and lawyers and you're talking about assessing Python skills and everybody's glazing over. Yeah. I had one where somebody was asleep at the back of the room. That was wow. how, how really, yeah, involved in the whole pitch. At what, at what point do you just, in that moment, did you just think, oh, I might as well just go home? Well, it's weird. I think you just kind of, people have just sitting there listening to 15 minute pitches all yeah. day long and just sort of had enough. So yeah, that was a bit, bit tough. I had one stop, somebody stood up halfway through a 15, 20 minute pitch and said, look, can I just stop you here? Does anybody in the room have a clue what he's talking about? <laughs> At which point, everybody sort of went, well, I've got a word, maybe, yeah, don't know. Oh, wow. And you then have to go, damn. And I've really been conscious about making it not too technical. Yeah. I mean, that's pretty good instant feedback for you as a presenter. Yes. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Or they're just really bad matching. Yeah, exactly. You need people in the room who, if you're pitching a tech business, then if you don't know anything about tech, you probably shouldn't have been in the room in the first place. You don't want a retired accountant that doesn't know how to use an iPhone. No. No, no, absolutely. Massive generalization. There, but you know <laughs> <laughs> so yeah that was a lot of yeah effectively you're just it's a numbers game there uh yeah. everything you go to you probably pick up two angels off each one so you've just got to keep going keep going keep going okay. it's hot if somebody falls asleep halfway through your pitch that, i mean i'm not i'm not sure what i would have done if i noticed someone snoring i mean if they were really if they were snoring i think that would have just, I would that, just that, yeah that justified walking over and giving them a little nudge yeah or just wait, waking them up with a microphone in front of them going, so, yeah, question. Yeah. <laughs> Harsh but fair, I think that would have been classed as. Um, and secondly, Geekdass, in terms of size, what have you guys got um, a team in place now? How are, you, how are your day-to-day operations looking? So we've got about 150 reviewers. So I'm not oh, wow. always in to, to grow the review team. Um, our, our challenge is how you balance the number of challenges coming in. So the number of candidates being assessed versus mm-hmm. the reviewers. So, and that was always a challenge. How do you grow this? They're all remote. They're all employed. They've got yeah. data working at Google, Amazon, you name it. And they work for us in their, in their free time, I guess, or lunchtime, or maybe even when they're doing their job. Um, and we and, all know it's probably the latter. Well, absolutely. Um, and then we've got, we had two other developers who helped build the platform. In fact, we have four developers, but two at any time. Um, they're dialed down at the moment just because we don't need them. So everything, yeah. we're 100% remote. We just pull on people as we need to build it. And then myself and Charles are focused on the sort of keeping the business going. Fantastic. Oh, you mentioned the word earlier, but streamlined. You know, that is such a streamlined operation. Uh, yeah. And was that a conscious thing for you guys to do? Did you know you wanted to keep it as trim as possible? Yeah, absolutely. And, I, and that comes back to the comment. I think if we got the VC money and we'd gone down that route, I wouldn't have said no to it. But actually, when you sit down and think about it, I've run bonds and we've got 30-odd uh, people. 
Mm-hmm. And when you're writing big checks, I mean, it's not big compared to other companies, but it's big biggest check I've ever written. You're writing that every month and sort of worried about making the numbers every month to be able to do that. This is a much different business. Yeah. It's lean. Um, you're not worried about that. So you can dial it up and dial it down as you need to. It almost sounds like you consciously made the business to suit your lifestyle a little bit. If I'm just reading yeah. between the lines a little bit. I think so. I don't. I think it was more born out of just keeping it, not going over the top. Basically, calling mm-hmm. all things as you need them. And if we need something built, then we've got the money to do that. But then not yeah. take on the additional pressures of that. Makes sense. And where do you want to go with Geektastic? What's the What's the end goal for you guys? Oh, everybody was asked this, and we kind of. I, I don't know. Change your question every. Change your answer every time. <laughs> Depends who we're pitching to. Yeah. Um, so no, for now it's I'm not really worried about where the end game is. It's just kind of keep it, keep on growing it, keep on scaling it, and delivering a good quality service to clients. Um, we're kind of pivoting a little bit at the moment. Everybody keeps asking. Obviously, to get our reviewers, we've had to assess thousands of developers to find the, the good 150. Yeah. We're now sort of bolting on additional services where people can access the developer community that we've built up behind the platform. Interesting. So you can use the platform to assess candidates and also source them as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're just working out how to do that properly. I don't want to be. I don't want to be an agency. I don't want to have a team of consultants. But at the other side, of it, I know that providing access where you haven't got humans involved is very difficult. Yeah, you're always hiring somebody is hiring a human, and you need some human interaction on that. And exactly. AI and machine learning is nowhere near where you need it to be to be able to. To do that properly not yet not yet it sounds like there's a, from what you just said there there sounds like there's a gray uh, a thin line between putting the business into almost a different realm of getting the almost turning it into more of a re- recruiter that and keeping it on that that community aspect of look developers and helping them to the best of their ability because obviously on the on the recruiter side there's probably on a business level there's a great cash incentive to go down that route if you've already dealing with amazing developers. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's weird. The money's everybody gets very sort of excited by the revenues that you looks like you should be able to make off recruitment. But you're talking about marrying up, you need an awful lot of liquidity. Mm. So I, I think for us we're focusing on the remote market. And it's yep. kind of fortuitous as the way the world's very unfortunately gone the last couple of weeks, but we always said we think that's going to be the future. We think yeah. that the saturation of or, or the, the lack of developers locally in London or San Francisco or wherever you are, Leeds, it's very hard and very expensive to hire locally. I think the world's going to start saying, actually, I don't, they don't need to be based here. They can be based in Brazil or Argentina or yeah, sure. or whatever. And I think all, of, all that's happened now is that this has proved that you can do it that remote working does work. A number of people I spoke to, and they're like, oh, we'd never go remote. I don't trust my team to work remotely. They won't get any work Crazy. done. And then two weeks later, everybody's going, oh, I've got a choice. It's it's happened. And actually, yeah. it's not so bad. No, yeah. exactly. I think it's forced a lot of businesses to re-look at how they build culture and how they hire in the first place. But I yeah. think more importantly, it's forced people to realise how they want to work. Because before this, it was, you know, you wake up, you get your tube, you get your train, you go into the office, you finish at five, six, seven o'clock, get home, have dinner. Yeah. That's completely been turned on its head 
to oh actually i can do my whole day's work in four or five hours sometimes yeah. um i for years i've been a big believer in what's the I, if the whole nine to five thing it's most people could get their work done in half that amount of time yeah yeah absolutely. it's, it's yeah. just a pattern that will or this comfort zone i guess that we're just in used to from years and years of how people run businesses yeah. no i mean you, you couldn't have done this 10 years ago 15 years ago no <laughs> imagine yeah it would have caused a shit show in yeah. terms of working yeah absolutely so i, I think you're right there's going to be a huge shift and it was happening already i think in the states mm. a lot more prevalent than here yeah um, but now, and then there's also been a shift already of people having flexible working hours. You don't have to do the nine to five. You can do the eight or whatever and miss the miss the um, computer, cr computer crush in the morning on the tubes and the trains. But now yeah. people are saying, actually, I don't even want to come in at all. I can do my job perfectly well from home. Yeah. How From someone that has been running a business with most of your staff being remote, how have you manage that as opposed to when you had that team of 30 was there a shift in your leadership style to to manage the teams differently uh, so in the last business we had two different offices so we had an office in guernsey and an office in london mm -hmm. so i was quite used to managing things through skype then rather than zoom but whatever and having regular catch-ups with people i think yeah it's it's just the communications it's it's avoiding uh, there's so much written about this now it's, yeah. it's avoiding those water cooler moments where people are just sitting there chatting making decisions and then somebody else who wasn't in party to that conversation but that happens anyway that happens when you're in an office of 30 people or 200 people on different floors so i think people worry about these things too much and think mm -hmm. that it's so fundamentally different I, there's a lot of common sense on this it's don't leave people to do their own thing for a week and keep in touch with people and make sure that when you're having a catch-up it isn't just formal right let's get down to talk about work and yeah what's about how's the family what's the weather doing where whenever we had our mornings to catch up we were constantly talking about politics and brexit and this and that and what's going on in poland and what's going on in wherever it was so you're, you're keeping it really light then yeah 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 <laughs> yeah, yeah no <laughs> <laughs> about the right. what's happening with brexit today guys and then we'll get on with work yeah everyone's forgotten about brexit now anyway so it's fine yeah it's hilarious isn't it <laughs> yeah it's just like what whatever's get fed what's ever fed to us from the outside world is what we focus on yes. yeah, but yeah. hey, hey. so in terms of what's going on now then as we're you know slowly touching upon this subject have yeah. you had to shift or anything or has it been fairly steady for you no, I've definitely seen a lot less candidates being pushed through the system. Um, so hiring has definitely slowed down. And we saw that almost instantly. Yeah. Um, not for everybody, but for some businesses. And I'm expecting that as a trend going forward. Um, for us, and maybe this will kickstart our remote a focus on providing remote developers. We've spoken to a couple of companies or heard on the grapevine a couple of companies who had a development team. They went all remote whenever the a couple of weeks ago. And that's working for them. But now they've got to furlough their team. The team will then go and disappear. So they'll end up with no developers at the end of this process because they're all yeah. employable and there are other companies who aren't affected in the same way. And therefore, one might say that after that, if they've bought into the idea that remote works, they might then say, okay, well, we'll keep on doing remote. They don't have to be based here. They can be based anywhere. Mm -hmm. So there's maybe a shift that we'll make towards that. 
but at the moment yeah it's just trying to um, pick up new clients on the, on the co-challenge side of things that's it and um, you know like you like you just mentioned there are still companies out there that effectively almost nothing has changed uh, yeah. which is really nice to focus on and if you can be providing service for them fantastic uh, but you're building a you know it's, it really does sound like you've built a an incredible resource for both uh, developers and businesses and pairing those two together in the most seamless way is is, is definitely the way forward um, listen Rick one of my final questions to you is and because of your background because of your experience I would love to just find out if you could give three tips to another founder to become to work in that trim streamlined fashion what would be those three tips that you could give them Working, to, to work in the streamlined fashion mm -hmm. yeah i just just really focus on do you really need to what can you do anything more effectively more cost efficiently so we focus for example on not spending last business we were hemorrhaging cash on facebook adverts and i thought yeah. that was the way forward for this business keep spending money work, make sure this works and actually, because we didn't have the money, we then focused on content and on SEO. And that I can write until the cows come home. And I can get other people in the community to write cost efficiently. And that's been a far better and more solid way of growing the business. Is don't think that you have to spend all your money on advertising mm. in traditional ways. And I guess, yeah, being free. Don't fall for the sexy marketer. Sorry? So don't fall for the sexy marketing. Yeah, just don't. Try and be innovative about the ways that you can grow the business and don't think there's only one way of doing it. There's actually a bunch of other ways. And just read tons of blogs and tons of um, – there's so much content out there about how other businesses have scaled. Mm. Like drilling for oil, you've got to, got to keep trying these different ways, whether it's marketing on Quora or Reddit or what have you. Test these things and see what works because, yeah, you don't need to spend all your money on, on Facebook. Excellent. Um, same goes for teams. Can you can you hire more efficiently elsewhere? Do, do you need to hire a whole raft of people from day one? I, I keep it kind of thin and do do multiple tasks yourself. Learn it, do it manually, and then try and automate it. One more, Nick. Uh, Rick, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess just don't. Uh, maybe this was us, but you don't need to go and raise a whole load of money. Yeah, um, I think that's such a good one. It's uh, there's a real theme that I think founders start a business and it, it's almost like oh I've got a business idea I need to make a pitch deck I need to make I need to raise money yeah when it's it's almost get it, I I saw a few patterns arising early last year where it was almost getting to that stage where the the the, the actual business of business was not happening because it was just yeah. ideas and people trying to fund ideas when actually a lot of their ideas can be created into a business which will fund the business. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We spent, every time we were doing funding rounds, we would lose three months of what we, we just took our eyes off the ball of growing the business because we were trying yeah. to raise cash. And then you've got a whole load of new investors to keep informed and you know, yeah. you're then worried about that because you've got a cash flow runway which is going to last X months. And then you've got, you already lost three months whilst you've been raising the money. Yeah, it's it's a, and once you get into that cycle, I think it's a very hard cycle to get out of. Yeah, yeah. it's a very you know you're just chasing that cash, and like you said, there's a lot of businesses out there that are going for the smaller amounts, and then they go, okay, to fix this cycle, I need to go for the big amounts. Yeah. When actually, sometimes that doesn't fix anything. Yeah, yeah, 
just get yourself in deeper yeah basically just make businesses make more money there you yeah go. Do it the, old, the old way yeah do it the old way guys that's the that's the key here but rick listen thank you so much for coming on on founders 365 if anyone wants to get in touch with you speak to about geektastic speak to about what you guys are doing over there what's the yeah. best way for them to do that uh just email me i guess old school rick at geektastic.com love it simple and that's perfect listen rick thank you once again for coming on really enjoyed this conversation and i am looking forward to seeing what geektastic get up to in the near future Cool. Thank you, Stu. Thanks, everyone, for listening and watching. This has been Founders 365.